Inner Voice, a heartfelt chat with Dr. Fujian. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Inner Voice Show. I'm Dr. Fujian Zane. I'm a psychotherapist, author, and the originator of the Awareness Integration Theory. And hello to Sean, our director at the studio. This is a show about what matters most in our life, our minds, our thoughts, feelings, actions, relationship, and our fulfillment in this beautiful journey of life. In this show, I will share the tip of the week about knowing when enough is enough and act on it. Then I will share with you how to explore loving others, even though you might not feel like it in the Ask Me segment. I'll bring you the latest research done at the Ohio University about how watching meaningful movies let us cope with life in a better way. And then I'm excited to bring, bring you Kate Aikman, She's the Columbia University Certified Executive Leadership Coach, and she's the author of The Full Spirit Workout, a 10-step system to shed your self-doubt, strengthen your spiritual core, and create a fun and fulfilling life. She shares with us simple steps in how to create a full-on workout with challenging, with changing beliefs, the challenging beliefs and actions through specific meditation and practices and exercises. But first, here's the tip of the week. Fujian here again, tip of the week. When do you know enough is enough? This does not only relate to things you don't like, but it could also relate to matters in life that you like, but you need to stop and move on. In a scenario that one is being abused in a relationship and knows leaving is the only option that keeps giving one more chance hoping that it will not happen again. Being in a dead-end job that has no possibility of growth or holding on to a small business and that is dying down with a fantasy of a miracle, what would it take to act toward transformational change? In the scenario that one gains pleasure from eating, drinking, using drugs and is paying health consequences, or gaming and gambling while going broke, what would it take to stop? It appears that staying in a familiarity of what is, even if one is facing a consequence or paying a price becomes much more comfortable than the anticipated change, even if it appears to be more desirable. Now, 
Does one have to pay a hefty price before getting motivated to change? Well, some do. Others keep paying small prices and stop right before the disaster happens. Some endure and get used to paying the price and justify it. And some feel utterly powerless to change anything and feel like a victim of the circumstances. Most people feel done way before they do something about it. They begin with small steps toward change, but go back into familiar spaces of what they knew. This lifts some pressure and appears that they are delaying paying the price. Soon they will be at the edge of enough again. These bargaining stages might go for a very long time while the consequences are getting higher. Some pay the hefty price of getting injured, becoming ill, going bankrupt, or other consequences, and then change. Some just hang in there until the environment changes, such as the abuser finally leaves, the business completely crashes, they get fired, or lose their loved ones. So, Enough is enough when you notice that it is. The rest is to have a vision of what the future would look like without you being in the situation, becoming aware of what type of thoughts, beliefs, intentions, emotions, and desires are keeping you where you no longer belong, noticing what types of thoughts, beliefs, intentions, and emotions are necessary to create the new vision practicing actions and behaviors that manifest the new vision. For more awareness and ways to create the vision of the future, go to my book, Life Reset, the awareness integration path to creating the life you want. was listening to uh, Ram Dass's, uh podcast and it was interesting he was talking about this particular story that um, uh, he went to his guru and his guru told him and then I want you to um, uh, love everyone and then the next day he came back and said um, and be truthful about be truthful so Ram Dass kept thinking about well if I wanted to be truthful, do I love everyone or not? And then he came to this concept of what well, I don't. And he says, well, I'm just going to be truthful. So I will look at all these people that I don't love. And uh, he went through uh, counting all the people he didn't love. And he didn't even like himself for doing it. So he stopped loving himself for not loving everybody else. So about a week later, um, he comes to his guru again, and the guru says, well, how did you do on the assignment? And uh, Ramdas says, well, I did um, look at the two instructions, and they, they were kind of opposing for me because you said love everyone, and then you said be truthful, and I, the truth is I don't. I don't love everyone, and I don't even like myself. And the guru said, well, do you love me? And he said, yes. And says, what are the components that you have about loving me? And, um, and then he shared. And then he says, well, then love everyone and be truthful at the time that you say that I love everyone. So I listened to that 
story. Um, and I started thinking about what is it that when I say I love everyone and what are the times that I don't and um, what's the difference for me? And it's interesting that I came to an understanding that when I say I don't love so-and-so, it has to do where they did not come through with some sort of an expectation that I had from them or that I thought that they didn't love me or they didn't like me and I felt some judgment from them. So I kind of like, you know, took in the judgment and gave it right back in my head of judging them for judging me. Huh. So it was interesting to look into this and see when is it that any of us would say, I don't love someone, either that they're doing a behavior that we don't like, they show uh, by their behavior a characteristics or um, something that it's not suitable for us, something that we expected from them and it didn't work out for us. So, um, oh, and we think they don't like us. And it's interesting that I've talked to a lot of people where even when they've had judgment about other people, when they thought that the other person loved them, um, they were a little bit more lenient in their judgment. So it seems like we really, really, really um, like to be acknowledged, loved, liked. And when we think that we are not, then we turn around and uh, kind of like mirror what we experience in our projection. And it's not like they don't, it's definitely our projection. And I don't know, maybe they don't, but they still have the right to their opinion. I could still choose to love them, even though they don't like me or love me back. So then the component of, all right, well, then how can I, if I would go to the same story of the guru, love everyone and mean it and be truthful about it. And if I chose that, then what would it be? How would it be? How can I do that? And I've been pondering about this for the past week. And I just wanted to share it with you because I've had a lot of these questions from you guys, which is, well, how can I be loving during the day when there's so many things that are happening that just doesn't sit well with me? So pondering on all of those, um, I came up with, well, maybe the love we're talking about is more of an acceptance, acceptance of people the way they are, acceptance of myself the way that I am, and, um, and just sending them that type of love, that it's okay that even if I think that they don't, I mean, obviously, everyone has to protect themselves if they think they're being harmed by any way. A lot of people under the name of love might harm you. Um, they're not thinking they're harming you. They're just probably, for whatever reason, think maybe that is love. They might control you um, or you might control them. But if you looked at, if you took on that concept of, may I love everyone and be truthful, would be if I can accept people the way they are, however they are, regardless of their shape, race, uh, color, um, orientation, whatever it is, whether they do it my way or they don't, whether they like the same things I do or not. I think it's more of that concept of, can I be a loving human being? 
And then the question becomes, why should I be a loving human being? Because it feels better to you? Because when you're constantly walking around in um, a nagging you know, a nagging way of being in your head that you're the one who's being miserable. This past weekend, I met two people where they had everything that they could ever ask for or that their life was very meaningful in all of the ways. But their brain is caught into um, negativity of not really appreciating themselves or all of that that was being created for them. And it's more like, well, you're the one who's miserable when, not being, when you're not being loving to yourself and everybody else. So um, to the, the answer to the question of why should I be loving is feels good. It's amazing. It's what you deserve. And every cell of your body can shine and get warm with that love. Um, then the question is, why should I give it to others? Because it's sweet to be interacting with other human beings with that type of an interaction versus expectations and judgments and, um, and constantly blaming others or yourself about it. So yes, there is a feel good concept about it. But beside the feel good, I think you get much more results with being loving that you would be with being nasty or even indifferent. So however you look at it, I think it's probably beneficial to be loving and be truthful and meaning it. So I hope this helps. the latest research watching meaningful films those that have those that we find moving and poignant can make us feel more prepared to deal with life's challenges and want to be a better person a new study done in the ohio state university and published in the journal of mass communication and society found that the point to one reason why people may choose to see movies that make them sad as well as happy and that may explore difficult subjects that aren't always uplifting. So researchers found that when people recalled watching meaningful films like the Shawshank Redemption and Up, they reported a variety of positive reactions, such as being better able to accept the human condition and make sense of problems in life. Those positive experiences were less likely to be reported when people thought about watching Hollywood um, movies like The Big Lewowski or Catch Me If You Can. Meaningful movies actually help people cope with difficulties in their own life and it helps them want to pursue more significant goals. While many studies have looked at how people react to watching meaningful films or clips from films in lab setting, this particular research was designed to see how these films affect people in their real life. The researchers created two lists of 20 Hollywood films, one a list of meaningful films and one a list of less meaningful films, all made after 1985 and with high viewer ratings. 
meaningful films, which included Hotel Rwanda, Schindler's List, or Slumdog Millionaire, were ones that the user-generated list on the movie site IMDb described using terms like poignant, inspiring, and meaningful. These films were matched with films produced about the same time and with similar MPAA ratings, such as G, P, G, or R, that were not described by users with the same terms of meaning. For some of the movies were like Ratatouille, Fight Club, or Pulp Fiction. The study involved 1,098 adults recruited online. Participants were randomly selected to receive either the list of meaningful films or the list of less meaningful films and asked to indicate which ones they had seen. One of the films they had seen before was then randomly selected for each participant who responded to the rest of the survey in relation to that movie. The survey asked a variety of questions about how much a participants reacted to the movie chosen for him or her. People, results showed that people who recalled a meaningful movie were more likely than the others to say that the film helped them make sense of difficulties in their life. For example, the film uh, helped them feel like struggles in life are for a reason and a more easily handled difficult situation with grace and courage. Meaningful films were also more likely than the other movies to help viewers accept human condition. Participants recalling these movies said that the film left them with the feeling that both happy and sad experiences give meanings to our life and gains and losses are a part of life, among other similar statements. So participants recalling the meaningful films were also more likely to say the movie motivated them to be a better person, do good things for other people and seek what really matters in life. How did meaningful movies have these positive effects? The study found that the key elements of these films were their poignancy, the mixture of happiness and sadness, their emotional range, and their ability to make people feel elevated and inspired by watching them. Overall, the meaningful films did have more of these positive effects than the other ones. But that doesn't mean people can't find meaning in films that are meant to be more entertaining than meaningful. The findings suggest why many people see movies as more than just entertainment. Some films may help people cope and grow through difficult periods in their life, and people may recognize this effect years after they have seen a particular movie. I also think that many of these movies allows you to experience and have empathy um, toward other roles or other stories or other experiences that you might not have the privy of being or seeing or having them around you. You're not going to have every experience of life. You might hear it. But a lot of these movies audiovisually support you and allow you to feel what the other person feels. So when they say I can have a better understanding of human condition, that's what really it means. I get to see what the other person thinks and feels like in real life, which I might not have the opportunity to see it in my vicinity, neighborhood, family systems. So that's how all of these meaningful movies um, expands our life and thanks to the researchers for creating that. Thank you.
Welcome back, everyone. Dr. Fujian Zane here, and I'm excited to be with Kate Aikman. She's the author of The Full Speared Workout and a Columbia University Certified Executive Leadership Coach. She leverages her experience as a well-known communications, performance, and mindfulness expert, accomplished entrepreneur, and elite athlete to equip leaders with the tools, methodology, and energetic boost they need to excel. Kate's work is rooted in neuroscience, positive psychology, and whole person coaching techniques. Passionate about mindfulness practices for both brain and body health. She is a meditation teacher and a course creator for Insight Timer, the world's number one ranked free meditation app. Welcome to the show, Kate. Thank you so much for having me. It's my joy to be here with you. So um, you are... Uh, a leadership coach, and uh, you also do meditation. And I went, I looked at your book, and your book is um, has everything. It has the conversation, it has the meditation, it has exercises, and um, it's awesome. However, you call it the full spirit workout. So instead of our minds going to like figure this out, I want you to tell us what do you mean by full spirit? Spirit workout. Absolutely. So the full spirit workout is a play on the expression full body workout that we often hear advertised at the gym, but it's also about bringing your full spirit, your authentic truth and power, your passion, your presence, your purpose to everyone you meet and everything that you do. Think of this as the epicenter of love that you're here to bring to the world, really to help uplift and energize it. So Kate, a lot of people, and you are also going toward like the positive psychology. So from a psychology world, I'm a therapist for 30 years. So we look at, you know, changing belief systems, emotional and aspect, but there's a reason why you called it, before I say that, um, there's this aspect of, okay, psychology and neuroscience and the scientific world. And then we have this spiritual world. And of course it meets a lot of times in the middle. But there's a reason why you chose to call it a spiritual fitness to to have that angle. So say, how come? How come you wanted that angle of it being a spiritual fitness versus like a psychological fitness or an emotional fitness? A great question. And, and as you said, they all are intertwined. I, I think for me, I was doing so much work in the outside world and things that it's one thing to understand something intellectually. For me, when I really got something, when I was really able to live my truth and speak my truth and feel better on every level, I was bringing the, the intellect down into my body, into my heart. And there's this beautiful quote that I hope I don't butcher, but it says something that knowledge is just rumor until it lives in the bones. So I think, right? I think a lot of us understand things intellectually and then wonder why we don't have the results. And it's because we, we aren't practiced. We aren't practiced at listening. We aren't bringing it down into the body where we know something in our bones. And then of course, the trick is to bring it from your heart and your body into your hands and implement it. So we have to actually believe the things that we are saying. And then we actually have to practice these beliefs consistently to get the results that we want. So for me, it was about getting 
to the core of who I was, not who I presented to the world and my job title, what I looked like, where I lived, but who I was at my core. And we all have this beautiful spiritual core, whether we believe it or not. And I think we, we do experience the life that we want and we just feel more at peace and life flows and is more joyful when we really do the work in our core, not just in our minds. Does that make sense? It makes sense. Another thing that you had said, as I read it in your book, it's very interesting where many times when we look at it from a psychological perspective, we look at emotions such as fear, anxiety, and all of that. And we keep digging, digging, digging. One of the things that I saw in your book, which is interesting, is that you look at getting really honest with what's happening inside. However, with through creativity, playfulness, and delight. So it has a whole different experience versus like, you know, let's dig in and see what's going on. Yeah, I wanted it to be fun because we do things consistently when they are fun. So don't look at it as that daunting exercise program at the gym that you hate that you're never going to go back to. Look at it like Pilates or stretching or that walk in nature where you say, okay, I can do this. And, and that's the physical fitness routine that you stick to to keep yourself physically fit. I wanted to make it fun. It's in the subtitle. I, I, I am fun, not to sound whatever, but I'm a person who believes that we are here to have fun and experience joy and it shouldn't just be all this mundane tasks that we dread doing. So I think too, when you are working with your spirituality and getting connected to who you really are, there is that level of creativity and playfulness and looking at life through the lens of a child. I mean, children, they're still, they're more connected to source because they were just born. They haven't learned all the things that we've learned as adults that, that weigh us down and a society that tells us where we don't measure up, especially as women and everywhere we're getting it wrong. When you're, you're childlike, you're just here to have fun and to play. You're so curious and you just want to connect with people and watch the bees do their job and, and just have a more um, simplistic approach to life. So that's what I'm trying to get people is to come back home to themselves and have more fun with life and be more curious as opposed to anxious. That is... Um... That's great to be able to look at yourself from um, an accepting place, because I think that um, many, many times as I work with people, they have learned to have a very, very critical um, disciplinarian inside of them. So the minute that they're looking at inside of themselves, they're actually being punitive with themselves. So that concept of just sitting, a lot of times as I've heard of people through meditation or calming down, the first thing that pours in, it's almost like somebody boxing at them and, and hitting them in, in their face and saying, you know, you're bad and why did you do that? So there's a lot of criticalness inside. And this type of creativity and playfulness um, kind of allows this kind of healing to also happen and move forward with, um, with delight, as you say it. Um, you also talk about, like, you begin your work um, in your book with uh, the concept of a comfort zone that we, it's obviously uh, familiar for us. We wanna be there because it's comfortable, it's safe, 
I mean, it's, it's interesting that even if it's miserable, it's still my misery. Like I got it down. Like I know how to handle this misery. So if we stay in that misery, even though it's miserable, but it's comfortable because I know how it ends. I know all the parameters of it. And you say that, um, you know, sticking to that familiar and safekeeping uh, gets us really stuck and, uh, and, and you, you talk about this in your book and give people really concrete solution to move out and then meditation in how to work with themselves to kind of like feel the kind of safety that they need to get out of that comfort, comfort zone. Yeah, and our comfort zones are just these arbitrary boundaries that we've created in our minds based on fear. Like you said, it's uncomfortable to be outside of the comfort zone, but this is so important because this is where we're able to stretch and grow and become the men and women who can naturally attract our desires and everything that we deserve, the opportunities, the experiences, the abundance, the relationships. And so rather than striving to get this or do that and make it happen, we become the men and women who can actually live the life that we say we want to live. And the perfect example of that is, you know, I don't have to strive so much now to, to achieve my goals. People find me, I get the emails, I get the phone calls, things will start just coming to you naturally as you attract them. So when you do dare to step out of your comfort zone, the universe will also conspire to help you. You're now in this place of co-creation. This is where life gets really juicy. And, and even studies show that we have to experience just a little bit of anxiety to really perform at our highest level and to actualize our full potential. So I invite you to do that scary thing, however big or small. That's me in dance class. I'm a horrible dancer, but it actually has been a confidence booster because it's not about going to dance class and being the best or impressing someone or giving the quote unquote perfect performance that doesn't exist. For me, success in dance class is being willing to show up and not be great ever, <laughs> but that's the beauty in it. And then just the, the endorphins and, and the musculature that I build by just having fun and, and showing up in a space where I'm, I'm not a pro or expert is so liberating. So try it out for yourself. Please let me know how it goes. And, and once you start doing this, you'll start to crave it and, and start to put yourself out there in a more meaningful way. And as a result, your life will feel more meaningful and fulfilling. Um, in order for us to be able to create that kind of a safety to move out, you also talk about characteristics, inner characteristics that we could cultivate to create um, that could help us move towards some of the fears that we might have. Um, and we, you talk about the characteristics that are, uh, that are in us, or we can actually look upon outside and to kind of like, you know, uh, um, take it on, borrow it and learn from it. So can you share a bit about that? Yeah, I even, I think what just came to me as you were talking is authenticity. And it's a challenge to be authentic in the world today because we fear people might judge us or we are authentic selves and we express an opinion or a concern or a truth and people don't like it. People don't like it. You probably know better than anyone. People don't like it when we set boundaries with them. And so, or you may disappoint someone by speaking your truth or living your truth. And so it does feel uncomfortable and scary, but then at what cost? Then you're, you're living a life that isn't yours. Or I had a friend who 
chose to end his life because he was scared to live his authentic truth and the judgment that would come from society or his own family by being who he was. And that was so heartbreaking to me. And, and in that heartbreak, I decided I'm, I'm not going to live my life this, this way. And if someone doesn't like me because of who I am, then that's okay. And, and I can let that person fall away and, and make the space for the people who do honor me. And I, I write about a gratitude visit that I did in the book with my friend, Vanessa, a transgender woman who is so inspiring to me when I think of how hard it, it is to be ourselves in the world, but how hard it is to even change genders because that's who you authentically need to be. I'm just brought to my knees in prayer that this woman came into my life to show me how to love more fully and completely and to be okay living my truth, even when it is uncomfortable or society I feel judgment a lot of times for being an unmarried childless woman in the world. When our society says, as a woman, you should be doing this and, and you shake your head. And I think this is a lot of people, whatever your thing is, it can be scary, but, but the good news is then you get to be who you are. And then you get to surround yourself with people who love you for you, not how they can use you, not what you can offer them, not because of the externals. The question that shows up for me, and I experience this a lot in therapy sessions with my clients, is that people don't know their truth. Many times um, it's gotten kind of convoluted by all the shittism that we grow up with, right? Like we grow up with all of these belief systems, a lot of messages that come from our society, our parents, multi-generational belief systems that come through our culture, whatever culture we have. Then we also have media that gives us another layer of, you know, the truth. Um, so sometimes we get confused by this concept of what is my truth? And then we keep questioning my truth. Like we, I could see something that is about me. And then if my outside world doesn't accept it, doesn't know it or rejects it, it's easy for me to say that's not my truth because if it's my truth and I, if I have to take a stand for it, then it's such a high price and that I have to pay, then it's not my truth. Like even when you were talking about uh, transgender, I work a lot with transgenders or um, homosexuals or people who their truth inside does not match sometimes the, uh, you know, the external uh, allowing of what it can be. And for many years, they questioned their truth. They question who they are. They make it wrong. Uh, they become punitive about who they are until the truth kind of like resists and says, no, 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 you got to take me. Um, what are your thoughts um, about that, about um, how to unlearn what's going on, the lies, the mistakes, the other news or uh, whatever is out there, even if it's not a lie, but it belongs to other people and it's not my truth, it might be theirs and how to find my truth. And I know that in your book, you give specific meditations for, the, for people to kind of like find their truth and believe in it. Yeah, thank you. It's such a great question. And thank you for the work that you do with a lot of marginalized groups. And it's it's so important and, and you empowering them by allowing them to just be who they are and your presence. I think that's such a gift that we can give people. If you're not a coach, if you're not a therapist, just a human being and, and loving and accepting people as they authentically need, need to be. And maybe that means they they can't be in your life. And maybe that means you, you might not have a relationship with them, but 
giving people the freedom to be who they are. But that that starts with us. We have to give ourselves the freedom to be who we really are underneath all the titles and labels. And, and I've got lots of titles and labels like you and everybody else. But underneath that, I, I identify as a woman who is committed to healing, not just my own healing, but the collective healing. And I do that by telling my truth, by talking about dark moments openly and vulnerably and candidly, because we've all had dark moments. This is part of the human experience. And I think the more that we can own and accept that and share it and invite others into that place of acceptance and sharing and just being honest with ourselves and not so worried about what others think or looking cool or impressing people. You know, what's really cool and impressive is being who you are unapologetically and, and, and going for that. And I think if you're scared and stuck right now and don't even know where to start, I say, start with five minutes a day of what I call sit and stare time, where you just sit with yourself without all the distractions in a quiet place stare out the window, stare straight ahead and check in with yourself like you would a small child and, and ask, how are you doing? What do you need right now? What's working? And if you're feeling really courageous, say to yourself, great job. I'm so proud of you. You know, we get so offended when other people don't see or hear or acknowledge us or tell us they're proud of us or say, hey, great job or congratulations. But think of how often, or I guess how, how infrequently we don't even do that with ourselves or, or acknowledge ourselves in that way. So I think the more we can sit in that quiet space and really tune into ourselves, then we start to know who we are. And then you're, you're less concerned about what people think. You don't need to compare yourself to others because you're so grounded in yourself and you actually like yourself. So you need less and less validation from other people. Um, when we talk about the spirit's immunity in your book, um, uh, in, obviously immune system right now is very important to all of us. So we have an idea about how to maybe keep ourselves uh, healthy and uh, keep our immune system high, especially because we've got a disease going on around the world. So I think we're a little bit more sensitive into our body and physical immunity. Um, people are not necessarily tuned in into their psychological immunity or spiritual immunity. And in your book, you talk about how can we build the immune system for our spirit? Can you share a bit, please? Sure. One of my favorite practices is what's known as savoring. So for example, I have my espresso every morning, my Italian espresso, and rather than just having it, you know, mindlessly while I'm distracted or watching TV or thinking about all the things I have to do and trying to get ready, I, I take that time to sit quietly and I do, and this is a practice I learned in Tibetan meditation. And I, I think about everything that it took to bring those coffee beans to my house and in their pretty package and, and think about, you know, even this meditation I did, it's like, imagine that you're drinking a cloud and the water and the streams, everything that cultivated these beans. And it sounds funny. You, you feel a little absurd at first that you're spending all this time thinking about clouds and coffee beans, but then you're able to really appreciate this drink and this drink that is giving you pleasure and giving you some energy. And for me, it's just part of my morning ritual of just sitting by the fireplace and, and the quiet and contemplating. And so 
savoring if you share it with somebody else it heightens it that's why we take these pictures on our lovely vacations right because we like oh my gosh this sunset or this view is so gorgeous i want to take a picture of it and save it forever but also photographing it in your mind and, and again bringing it into your body and into your heart and in that way i mean lake como and lisbon and these beautiful places are always within me and i can access the memories at any time and just savor the experience or you savor that conversation that you've had with a loved one when they're expressing their love for you and, and hold on to those things. I mentioned the gratitude visit. People are familiar with writing down things they're grateful for, but take it a step further. Write a 300 word letter to someone who has helped your life in a, a profound way, who you've never properly thanked. Usually what do we do? We wait and say these things at someone's funeral. Write it to them now and, and show up at their house. Don't tell them why and read it to them. Your life will, your well being in life will transform for the better so dramatically, as will the other person's. And then you have this new profound bond with them that no one can ever break. These are the things that science shows, and my personal experience shows increases your well being and happiness, as opposed to all the shiny objects that society says we need to be worthy of anything. They're nice, and you may feel happy for 15, 20 minutes, and then it's on to the next thing, and the next thing, and the next thing. But these, these psychological immunity boosters like savoring, like the gratitude visits, like visualizing your, your miraculous day, what are you doing? Who are you with? Take your, taking yourself on that journey, which I give you in all the meditations in the book too. These are the things that are actually going to boost your psychological immunity and increase your well-being. The concept of gratitude visits that we also get from positive psychology um, and what you just said about just sitting and really enjoying, but not only enjoying what, um, what I'm experiencing right now, but enjoying what you said of how the the earth and the sun and the moon and uh, everything has to come together and all of these human beings have to come together in order for me to sit here and have pleasure and i think that when we look at it from that place it's harder to take things for granted and i kind of like move toward the day as if it's like okay like it's supposed to be here. And then we get pissed when it's not. Like the first time, you know, the espresso machine isn't working or the water is not working. We have it as if like, you know, it's my entitlement to have all of us. And what the hell? How come it's not here? Well, when you really look at the bigger picture of what it took um, for this to be on your lap, to be in your life, and what a system there is. And I think that that also creates another layer of being responsible for the whole system, that the same way the system is working, so I have pleasure. How can I, in my decision makings and the way of being, also be responsible for this full system? Because the same way somebody, um, so many people do things uh, that affects my life it's not just one way. It, it also, real, we have to realize how do I affect everybody else's life, you know? Oh. And that way of being responsible for that, for that matter, I think that it also creates what you call the full spirit workout. Yeah. And that, thank you for saying that. And even as I'm, I'm looking at you, I'm noticing, you know, like your beautiful clothing and your beautiful hair and makeup. And you think of these things we just take for granted, or you're right. We just, we have it every day, but, 
or the person's expertise and coloring and styling our hair and all that went into the beautiful lipstick, the exact shade, the moisturization, the clothing. I mean, I've tried to do some of these things. It is so much work or cooking. I'm, I'm a horrible cook. And so when someone prepares this delicious meal with love, I think, wow, that's skill, that's talent. And it's so flavorful. And then you're right, extending it to ourselves and whatever your job is, wherever you are in your journey, maybe you're not where you want to be right now financially or, or doing a career that lights you up, but giving it your all, that's going to take you and catapult you into the right position because you're showing up with your full spirit, like you actually mean it and, and treating everybody with kindness. I think of every time I go to the grocery store and I know we're all in our masks, but looking at the cashier and, and smiling at that person with my eyes and wishing them a great day. And then I'll hear the person go from being a little grumpy after I shower them with love, they treat the next customer a bit better. And then it creates this ripple effect and our energy matters and how we show up matters. And you never know what that cashier or anyone you're coming into contact with is going through. Maybe they just lost a loved one. Maybe they just got diagnosed with an illness. We don't know. I mean, even if quote unquote, nothing is wrong, this has been, I'll let you say it because you're the psychologist, arguably the most traumatic year of any of our lives. And, and we need to give ourselves a little more grace and also let other people off the hook and just extend that simple act of kindness, which is another psychological immunity booster that I think we think I don't have time to be kind. I'm pissed. I lost my job or I didn't have this thing, but you will get these things that you want a lot quicker and easier when you are in that vibrational space of gratitude and acceptance and kindness and being really conscious and intentional with the energy that you bring to the table with, with everyone that you meet, not just your family or friends, but but strangers on the street, how much, how much does it cost to smile at someone? Again, I know you're wearing a mask, but you can feel it energetically. And I know how much it shifts my day. Yeah. We're, we're all so connected. Yeah. And we can smile with your eyes. It's interesting where, you know, now that we look at each other through a mask, you can really read each other's eyes. Although it's nice to see their mouth, but there's so much information that you could get just through the expression of eyes and you can smile at people with your eyes. Um, the other conversation that shows up also in your book is that it, yes, it's the looking at having gratitude at the bigger picture and looking at everyone. There's also this concept of sometimes we take the ones who are very close to us for granted, our relationship, intimate relationship, families and all of that. And um, when that doesn't work, and when we don't feel that fulfilled in those, or we don't create the fulfillment in those areas, the rest of the life becomes miserable also. So uh, our core relationships, such as marriages, intimate relationships, our relationship with our you know, family of origin or our children or best friends, those very uh, core relationships are also very important. But you also share in your book, very valid, that when I'm not, um, when I'm not fit, let's say spiritually fit, psychologically fit, um, then I don't create the best of who I am in my relationships. And I can keep looking at them and say, well, they got to change and they got to be somebody else. And, oh, okay, I don't want this one. I've got another one that is coming. And I know that I, you know, if I can just figure it out and manifest another one to show up. And yes, maybe some of these relationships needs to move on and you need to have the best relationship that is waiting for you. But the concept of first knowing that I've, I'm the one who has to 
really look at myself and, and take care of myself fully uh, so that I can fully give into a relationship is also um, a strong topic in your book. Can you share a bit about that? Sure. I think relationships are soul assignments and they're lifetime assignments. If it's your family member, spouse, kids, and you know, this doesn't necessarily mean you like these people, but they are lifetime assignments. And so rather than making this laundry list of who we want everybody else to be, I think it's a lot more powerful if we can make a list on who we want to be and embody those characteristics. And so instead of expecting people to do be or treat us a certain way for us to be okay, we, we do that for ourselves and then we're able to extend that outward. And, and some people will fall out of your life and, and others will come to you because you'll be attracting people at a different vibrational level. You'll be a different person who attracts someone who is able to love you in a deeper, more meaningful way. And I, I think there's this notion that, um, well, I, this person has to do this or I'm not going to love them. It's easy to love people who are saying and doing everything we want to hear, right? But the challenge is to love people and be loving when people aren't behaving well, when someone is a jerk and, and to extend that act of forgiveness first to ourselves and to other people and to really let people be who they were not yesterday. Meaning that person you are justified in your anger by the way that person treated you, but hold the space for them to be a more enlightened version of themselves today, to get it right today, rather than this whole cancel culture or just cutting people off. And sometimes the right, the right move is, as you know, you do need to set the boundary and you do need to have physical distance and emotional and mental distance from this person. But I think the more that we can put the focus in on ourselves and, and having us be the dream partner, the dream relative, the dream friend, then that's what we'll have in our experience rather than like this person stinks, shame, blame, criticism, because spiritually speaking, when you shame, blame, or criticize another, you're also shaming and blaming and criticizing yourself. And, and the judgment you feel for yourself will be even stronger. Yes, absolutely. You also talk about building resilience and confidence, um, which would be the core aspect of your personality and, and the spiritual fulfillment. You talk about five P's. So can you share with us what your five P's are? Sure. So it's presence, patience, purpose, preparation, and practice. And because I love you and your audience, I'll give you two bonus P's. And that is pause and person as in be a person. And I know we don't have hours and hours, so I'll just quickly go through them. And presence is being fully present. So you know when you're fully present because your kids or your animals aren't gonna be like, hello, pay attention to me. There's nothing cuter than my face. Why are you on your phone? Why are you looking out the window distracted? And also bringing your presence, showing up like you mean it. You've got something to say, which everybody does. Patience, I think of country singer Shelby Lynn. In 2001, she won Best New Artist. And when she accepted her award, she said, ah, Best New Artist, it only took me 13 years and six albums to get here. The only Grammy moment I ever remember in 20-something years. Because while she was gracious, she was also kind of mocking it. Like, I, I'm not a best new artist. I've been at this forever. So I think, you know, holding on loosely to your goals, not gripping so tightly and, and giving some, some trust and surrender to the process that will actually bring your goals quicker rather than repelling them. 
purpose is your why, why is this important to you? And when you have a strong why, you'll achieve your goals. You'll build the confidence. If, if your why is, well, I just want some more money, eh, may not happen as quickly and, and you probably won't be as motivated to continue. If your why is you want to honor a loved one's memory who is no longer with us, like I did for this book, you'll be able to continue even when things get really hard. And the days you can't show up for yourself, show up for your organization or team or family or a cause greater than yourself. Preparation, of course, you're going to be more confident when you're prepared. So build that consistency of habits, which leads to behaviors and, and results. It's so consistency and practice. There's this notion, I think, that if you reach a certain level of success, you don't have to practice much anymore. You're like, I got this or I'm confident. And I think of Tom Brady, who we're the same age. We were both Big Ten athletes at the same time, and he's still winning Super Bowls, and my knees hurt when I go to Pilates, but, you know, so I bow down to you, Tom Brady, but he trains harder than anybody, not because he's the worst, but because he's the best. And pause, this is non-reactivity. This is spiritual fitness in practice. This is not feeling the need to tell that person off when they're rude. This is not immediately responding to the upsetting text or email, taking a pause, sitting with yourself, taking a breath before responding. If you need to respond at all, maybe you don't. And person is one of my favorites too, as in be a person, because you know, someone like me, I've always been so obsessed with performance and perfectionism. And my speaking coach likes to just say, just be a freaking person. We're in love with your humanity and your rawness and real. So to everybody, just be a freaking person. We, we love you. You're good enough as you are. Just show up and have some fun and, and forget the rest. Kate Dakeman, everyone. Kate, one minute. Anything we haven't shared that you really want everybody to know? I think I just want everyone to remember, um, or maybe you're, you're noticing for the first time, just how very powerful you are and that you can do whatever you decide is important enough. So if you aren't feeling that way, unsubscribe from the struggle and the societal standards you don't even believe in any way. Tune back into your heart, into your body, into your breath. Remember who you are. We need you here to utilize your gifts and strengths that only you have. And I believe in you. Let's go. The time is now. We're, we're reaching midnight. We're not quite there yet, but the time is now and, and we need you. So let's go. Let's do it. I know I said one minute, but something you said also in the um, in your book would have to do with the social media aspect. How can we um, create that type of a full spiritual workout uh, and kind of, you know, take yourself away from the social media, but what part of it, because I think it's not, it's, it's not feasible to say, I'm not going to be in social media, because this is another way of <clears throat> being in communication with people. And, you know, um, even for them to get to know you, it's no longer that people just go to your website to get to know you, by the way, kateaikman.tv, everyone. Uh, but it's also the social media, like people are going to get to know you through that. So how can we literally just one minute, I promise you, tell me um, in uh, how do you coach people to be true to, your, to yourself, see yourself and hold the gratitude and still share yourself, be the you who you are and, you know, utilize social media into the best of your capacity. Sure. So I think be super intentional with your time on social media. And if when your intention is to connect and collaborate and genuinely engage with people and share a message and focus on what you can give rather than what you can get and falling into the comparison trap and how you don't add up. If you're in the space just to connect with people, 
use social media. Social media uses us. So use it right back. Use it as a, a place and platform of connection, a place everyone's mad at the media. You're the media. You're the media through your message. So say what you want and need to say in your own powerful, authentic way, and then engage with people and, and let it work for you rather than against you. Wonderful. Kate Aikman, author of The Full Spirit Workout, a 10-step system to shed your self-doubt, strengthen your spiritual core, and create a fun and fulfilling life. So get that, everyone. Go to kateaikman.tv um, and uh, get to know her more and get her book. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. You're amazing. I could talk to you all day. I appreciate your wisdom and, and your joy. You're bringing the joy. I appreciate you. It is a joy to have you. And for everyone who's out there, create an amazing life for yourself and everyone around you. And until next week.